Wednesday nights are going to be special during this coming month as we are praying about the decision of the Supreme Court and legalizing same-sex marriage in, in all the states. Uh, this coming Wednesday, I'll show about a five-minute video by James Dobson and then another five-minute video by people who understand all the ramifications if the Supreme Court makes the wrong decision. And it is very sobering, y'all. It is very sobering. These people have studied it. They've studied history. They're much more informed than I could ever be. So we'll, we'll watch those videos. Then I'll speak a few words from the Word of God, and then we'll spend about 30 minutes in prayer. We'll, we'll, we'll have it where you, if you don't feel comfortable praying out loud, you don't have to. But, I, I mean, this is a time not to just hear the Word and get more information. This is a time to pray in light of the information that we have. And so I'm trusting that you'll come on Wednesdays and we'll have a, have a great time together. You know, what do we mean when we say the church? All right, now let me, let me define it very clearly. The church of Jesus Christ is made up of every individual in whom Jesus Christ lives and who have bowed their knee to Jesus as Lord. If you can say to me, Brother Fred, I don't know a lot of things, but I know this. Christ lives in me, and my sins have been forgiven, and I know that he's my Savior, and I gladly bow my knee and confess with my tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. The church is not bricks and mortar. The church is made up of individual people who've been joined together through their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their submission to the Lordship of Christ. You know, uh, Jesus said to the church, now listen to what he said to the church. You're the light of the world. Woo. It's pretty dark, isn't it? So the church must not be having too much light. He said, you're the salt of the earth. You know, salt stops decay. But there seems to be a lot of moral decay. Obviously, the church is not as salty as God wants it to be. As I think about the day in which we're living, there are two things I want to say to you clearly, and I'll elaborate as we go. In these chaotic times, the church, every believer, must walk in love and walk in truth. Love without truth, then you people are not going to know the truth. But truth without love will lose its drawing power. And so we have to walk in Christ, in truth, in love, and in truth. Now, please understand that when I speak of the church, I'm not speaking of all the religious denominations in America and in Mobile. When I speak of the church, I'm speaking about those people, regardless of what name they go under, Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal. I'm speaking of those people who are truly born again. We used to say there's a remnant in the church. No, you're wrong. The remnant is the church. It is the church. It is the people who really know Jesus Christ, who follow him, and who have surrendered to his lordship. And so the church has got to walk in love, and the church has to walk in truth. Now, you need to understand, there's no room for hate, none. No room for hatred. Now, it is right to hate evil. In fact, the Bible says, abhor that which is evil. It's right to hate sin. It's right to hate injustice and wickedness and oppression and oh God. It is right to hate that. But you, you have no choice as a child of God to hate people. Jesus settled that once and for all because he knew that righteous anger was going to rise up within us. 
He said that he settled that once and all. And by the way, it's all right to have righteous anger just as long as you don't cuss. I wanted to see if you were listening. Righteous, Jesus had righteous anger. He overturned the tables of the money changers and, and the seats of those that sold doves and said, you've made my house a bin of thieves and it ought to be a house of prayer. Righteous anger is good, but it's no room for hatred. He said, love your enemies. What part of that do I not understand? Now, there's some verses I wish he'd have left out, but he didn't leave that one out. Bless those that curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. And so the church has to walk in love, but wait a minute. We have to walk in truth. And it has to be balanced out by loving people, hating their sin, but loving them, and loving them enough to speak the truth. And let me just say one thing. When you speak the truth, you're not being a bigot. You're not speaking using hate speech. The truth is the truth whether people like it or not. And so all we do is say, well, the truth is. Well, I don't believe that. Well, then you, our, we base our truth on the word of God. And so if you don't like the truth, that's your problem. But this is the truth. And there, you, we're not going to compromise it. There's no room for hatred. But there's no room for compromise when it comes to the truth. You know, we walk by faith and we walk in the truth of God's word. You know, they're saying that eventually in America, the religious circles are going to cave in to the pressure. And I already see it. This pastor will say, well, you know, so-and-so. And this one will say, this one. And all I see them doing is this. They can't take the heat and they're beginning to cave in to the pressure of the culture. That is wrong. There is no room for compromise the truth. The truth is the truth no matter what it costs and no matter how what people respond. So if you walk in love and you walk in truth, then you're being an obedient follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, by the way, I just kind of feel like we're living in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. Do you ever feel like this is the day we're living in? If you want to turn in your Bible, you can. should be on the screen. It says in Isaiah 5, 20 and 21, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Now, let, let that just sink in. Written up thousands Six, seven hundred years ago. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. In other words, it says, man, they're calling good evil. And they're calling evil good. They're calling light darkness. They're calling darkness light. He called it sweet, bitter, or bittersweet. And let me tell you why. Look at, listen at verse 21. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. I kind of feel like that we're living in Romans chapter 1 where it says very clearly in the word of God. In Romans chapter 1, um, at verse, um, let me see what verse that is. I got it written down here. It's Romans 1, I think it's verse 18, no, verse 28, Romans 1, 28. Look at what it says. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not fitting. Now, he said, I said, the Lord, you said they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. He said, that's humanism. 
That's humanism. Humanist manifesto one and two. There's no deity that would save us. We must save ourselves. And so when it says they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, well, just take God out of uh, prayer out of schools. Take God out of the public forum. Don't pray before public meetings. Don't put, let, let's, hey, listen, let's just put God out of the equation. Let's be a secularistic, humanistic society. We don't like to retain God in our knowledge. Don't mention God to me. Okay, then you're a humanist. That's exactly what you are. You're your own God. You're worshiping yourself. And so it seems like we're in Isaiah 5. They call it good evil and evil good and light darkness and darkness light. And they're saying, just, just don't talk to me about God. No, just don't talk to me about God. I don't want to hear that. Okay. You're a humanist. You're your own God. Well, in light of the fact, you know what uh, Pilate asked Jesus? You know what Pilate asked Jesus? He was standing before him on the way to the cross. And, and um, he asked Jesus, what is truth? Now, isn't that amazing? That Pilate would ask Jesus, John 18, if you want to turn with me. In John 18, verses 34 through 37. Well, I'm going to go back to 33. It says, then Pilate entered the praetorium. Again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself? Or did somebody else tell you that I was the king of the Jews? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Now listen to Jesus here in verse 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that, I, so that I would not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Pilate said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born. For this cause I came into the world. Now listen to this. That I should bear witness to, I should bear witness in the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. Jesus said, I came to witness to the truth. And those who are me, will, of, of the truth, will hear my voice. And then I love what Pilate said in verse 38. Pilate said to him, what is truth? That's a good question, isn't it? What is truth? And when he had said that, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no fault in him. We've got to walk in love. We've got to walk in truth. All right? Now let's talk about uh, what is truth. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, now I want you to listen to Jesus. You don't know what truth is. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now, Jesus didn't stutter when he said that. What is truth? He said, Father, set them apart by your word, and your word is truth. Well, what did Jesus say about himself in John 14, 6? See, we've got to walk in love and in truth. Jesus said, I'm the way. That would have been enough. He said, I'm the truth. Oh, Jesus, the Bible says in John 1, was full of grace and truth. He said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the truth. God's word is the truth. Now, let me tell you what the world wants you to do. They want you to back off of saying that the Bible is the truth. You know that, don't you? They do everything they can in humanistic ed education to undermine the Scripture, undermine the Bible. You know, they have all kind of crazy books that kids have to read in school, you know. But they don't want, they want anybody in there reading the Bible. You know why? 
those books are just a bunch of, they're just books. (laughs) But they're scared to death of the Bible. Did you know that? Because the Bible changes people's lives. Isn't that something? I'm standing here today changed by, changed because of Jesus, but because of this book. It's alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It is truth in every area of life. Let me tell you something. We make no apology for believing the Bible is the Word of God. It is the final authority for everything we believe and practice. On this book we stand, and we refuse to compromise the truth of God. No way, no way. We refuse to compromise the truth of God. Those who don't believe the Bible, the problem is they've never read it. They're a bunch of parrots who saying what's humanistic, what humanistic teacher has said them, whether in school or, or college. They're a bunch of parrots. They don't know what's in this book. They're blind to the truth. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, That's my introduction. (laughs) I want to talk to you about the truth. A truth, the Christian faith and government. I want to talk to you about the Christian faith, the truth of the Christian faith and government. Now, you know that the Bible addresses every area of life. And the Bible clearly addresses the matter of the church as it relates to government. It does that. Now, let's remember this. The church is a spiritual body. It's a spiritual organism. Now, what does the Bible say? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, I want you to listen to what it says about the church. And this is important that you know this. And uh, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says, your members, uh, 12, 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So let's we'll say this about the church. It is the body of Christ. And we are members of that body. It says it again in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verse 5. Notice what it says about the church. Romans 12, verse 5 says about the church, it says, so we, are, so we being many are one body of Christ, individually members of one another. So we understand now that The church is the body of Christ through which God, Jesus, does his work on earth. He works through a body, and that body is the church. Now, the church is a spiritual body. It is a spiritual body. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The Holy Spirit empowers the church. And so the church is a spiritual, supernatural body. And by the way, the church is under a clear mandate from its head, Jesus. Jesus gave us a clear mandate about our message, and he gave us a clear mandate about our mission. He said, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And and he says we're to preach the gospel, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the earth. So the church is on a mission. It's to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's by preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to talk about that later. Contending for the gospel of Christ. So we are a The body of Christ, we are a spiritual body. Our main mission in the world is to tell people about Jesus, bring them to faith in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, then to disciple them to be followers of Christ and reproduce themselves. We have a spiritual mandate 
and mission. All right? Now, I'm going to say this. I want you to listen. The church is not a political body. Our main purpose is not politics. That's not it. Now, listen, let me tell you what they'll do. When you start getting involved and speaking out on moral issues, the church is under a mandate from God to speak out on moral issues. It's not an option for us. We have to speak out when, about what's right and what's wrong, what's evil and what's godly. So we're under a mandate from God as the body of Christ to address moral issues. Well, they say, well, you're, you're political. You're getting involved in politics. You're a political organization. I got one word for them. That's a lie. We are not. We are a spiritual body. We're the body of Christ. Our mission is to tell people about Jesus, win them to Christ, and teach them to be disciples. And But also we are obligated by our head, the Lord Jesus, to address moral issues in this country. We're to be light in the midst of darkness, and we're to be salt in the midst of decay. You know why they don't like for us to address uh, moral issues? Let me tell you why. Over in John, it says, and this is the message that light has come into the world and that men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They don't like for you to expose the darkness. And so, we are not a political body. We are not a social club. The church isn't a social club. Our major thing is not social agenda. We're a spiritual body, the body of Christ under a clear mandate to tell the good news of Jesus Christ, bring people to faith in Jesus Christ, to disciple them. We address moral issues because that's what God has told us to do. And to do that, not to address moral issues, is to disobey God. Okay, now, this is going to make you uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable. You know, the Bible is clear about how we're supposed to relate to government. Now, if government's good, I wouldn't have any problem with this. (laughs) But when it ain't good, I I shouldn't say ain't. When it's not good, I have a problem with it. I'm just telling you. But I'm going to just be true to the Word of God. Look at Luke 20. Verses 20 through 25. This is the way the church relates to government. God didn't stutter when he said it. He made it absolutely clear. And like it or not, this is what God says. The way we're to respond, listen to me, to righteous government and righteous laws. In Luke 20, 20 through 25, I tell you what, the the, the wisdom of Jesus, it, it 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 just overwhelms me. I mean, it ought to. He was... He is God manifest in the flesh. But, man, they were always trying to trap Jesus. Okay? All right, so in verse 20. All right, it says, so they watched him and sent spies. This is Luke 20, 25. Luke 20, no, Luke 20, 20. That's easy, 20, 20. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. So they were trying to find Jesus to say something wrong so they could take him before the courts of Rome. That's exactly what they were trying to do. They asked him saying, teacher, we know that you say and act, say and teach rightly. They were a bunch of liars. They didn't believe him. Teacher, we know that you say and teach rightly. You do not show personal favoritism. But you teach the way of God in truth. Now, isn't that a joke? They were trying to find fault in him, and they were saying all that about him. Don't don't get impressed when people flatter you, okay? (laughs) And they ask it this. Is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Say, buddy, we got him in the corner now. If he says, no, you don't have to pay taxes to Caesar then, brother, he was violating the law of Rome, and they were going to come after him and put him in jail because that was the law of Rome. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Well, if he said no, you don't have to. Uh, if, uh, if he said yes, there were going to be some believers that said, well, I thought we were going to overthrow Rome. And you're saying, but anyway, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He perceived their craftiness and said to them, why do you, ask, why do you test me? 
Show me a denarius. I don't know if that's a dime or a quarter, but I wish it said dime or quarter, but it says denarius. Show me a denarius. Whose inscription does it have on it? They answered Caesar. All right. Jesus said, okay. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. He said, if it's a part of government and it's got Caesar's stamp on it, it's not an unjust law, obey it. But remember this, if it's got God's image and God's stamp on it, and every human being is made in the image of God, then you render to God the things that are God's. So Jesus said, look, you you can't just disregard government. You can't act as though government doesn't exist. He said, you've got to render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God. Now, turn over (laughs) to Romans 13, 1 through 7. And this is going to make you real uncomfortable because it made me uncomfortable. Because I'm not comfortable with government as it is now. You say, well, you just, uh, no, I'm not either. Okay, here you go. (laughs) Now, what, 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 I said it's Romans 13, didn't I? Romans 13, okay. All right, now look look, look what it says here. (laughs) Lord, I'm reading this, but I don't like it. Anyway. I do like it because it's God's word, and I'm going to obey it because it's God's word, right? The Bible doesn't say obey God's word if you like it. The Bible says obey God's word. Amen? Okay. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. He says the authority the government has comes from God. There's no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, now stop a minute. If there was no righteous government, then there would be chaos and confusion. Government has its place of keeping civil order. But it goes on and says here, Therefore, whoever resists the authority, government, resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Well, I don't like the government, and I don't like the way it acts, but it's not, you're not living under un, an unjust, unjust laws. They're not called asking you to disobey God. It says here, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. All right. Now, now listen to this. This is righteous rulers. By the way, this is all talking about righteous government. It's talking about government under God. It's not talking about unrighteous government, but it's still talking about government. You got me? All right. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. In other words, if it's a righteous government, they bring civil order, and they, if you do evil, then, then they are a threat to you. They bring terror to you because they'll arrest you. It says here, rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good. Obey the authority, and you will have the praise from the same. For he's a minister. Now, this is strong about government if it's righteous. He is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. Oh, but he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practice evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. Now, what he's saying here is that government, if it is righteous, is, it's, it's appointed by God to produce civil order. If people disobey the law, then the government which is righteous, it brings them to justice. If you obey the law, you don't have to be worried. Looking over your shoulder to see in righteous government if you're going to be arrested or something like that. And so he's simply saying, and he goes on down in verse um, 7, render therefore to all their due. This is hard. Taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, and fear to whom fear. All right, so... 
Now, we've got to come to grips with that there is righteous government. And God says they're appointed by God to bring social order uh, into society. Okay, so now we, we've settled that. All right, now look, and i got one other verse I want to show t- tell you about, and then I'm going to talk about when it's not righteous government. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Now, so Jesus said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. Paul wrote in Romans, this is the way you deal with righteous government. And then Peter comes back in, 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 um, in, in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 15. All right, now listen to this. I'm, this is the word of God, y'all. Their source, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Obey the law. That's right. Just obey the law. I was going to say something that I didn't say. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king or supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. This is the will of God that by doing good, obeying the law, by doing good, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Government is not bad. Government is good. Ordained by God. It is a threat to those who are evil. It is a blessing to those who are law keepers and are good. Now the problem comes is when government is run by bad people. Nothing wrong with government, but it is when government is not led by righteous, righteous people. And the Bible makes that clear in Proverbs 29. Now, I want you to listen to this. Proverbs 29, 2 and 8. It makes it very clear. This is where we are. Proverbs 29, verse 2 and verse 8. When the righteous rule... When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules or wicked people rule, the people mourn. So when righteous rulers, you have righteous government, you rejoice. But when you've got wicked rulers, and therefore government is not good but evil, then you, you mourn. Hey, by the way, I hadn't planned on reading this verse, but look down at verse 8. I, I, just, my, I just caught this. You know, we've just been having a bunch of riots. Scoffers set a city aflame. Whew. They just burned down the CVS and the Senior Citizen Center in Baltimore. Scoffers set a city aflame, but wise men turn away wrath. You know, I think, I believe in the right to protest. That's a God-given right to protest evil or wrong. I have, I'm not into the debate of, about what happened in Baltimore, but protesting doesn't mean you have the right to break in stores and steal. That is not protest. That's stealing. That's lawlessness. You do understand that, don't you? And they ought to be arrested and put in jail. Well, what about when um, government isn't right? Did you know some of the most horrible crimes in history have been been committed by dictators? I mean, Stalin massacred over 50 million Russians. 50 million. In China, millions of people have been imprisoned and murdered by the authorities. In North Korea, as I speak to you right now, there are probably millions of people in government-ordained camps. They were born there. They will spend their life there. They never will know the taste of freedom under the oppressive hand of godless government and dictators. Oh, Some of the worst crimes ever committed in history have been committed by godless dictators. Do you realize that in Syria, 
trying to overthrow that regime that's been in power for 40 years. He, he, he got so bad he was getting concerned about losing that he put poison gas on his own people. And he showed them in the streets writhing under the pain of poison gas. Ungodly government is the most wicked and oppressive thing in this world. And when the wicked rule, the people mourn. When the righteous rule, the people rejoice. I've said this before and I'm going to say it now. There are two, law, two kinds of laws. They're just laws passed by righteous government and they're to be obeyed. They're unjust laws that would cause us to disobey God and that would cause us to violate our Christian convictions and our faith. You obey just laws but you get to the point when there are unjust laws that you say we ought, we, we're going to obey God rather than man. We have a higher law that takes precedence over this unjust law and we will not obey it because our first obedience is to the God who created us, the Savior who died for us and cleansed us from his blood. All right. Now, I, I, I'm on a, I thought about this and I, I'm encouraged when I saw this. In the last 15 years, in a way, we have seen Americans do everything they can to disobey unjust laws. For example, the Roe versus Wade, when it said it was legal for a woman to have an abortion whenever trimester or whatever. But then they began to say to Christians, well, you got to pay the, you got to pay for you got to have it in your insurance to pay for a woman to have an abortion. And they say, well, I'm not going to do that. I'll tell you one thing. Aren't you glad some people got convictions today? <laughs> they told Hobby Lobby, you've got to have in your insurance to pay for a woman to have an abortion. You know what he said? We won't do it. And if the court says we have to do it, we'll shut down every store we got. <laughs> Praise God. And that would, have been thousands, that would have been thousands of employees. But he said, we're not going to disobey God. I'm not going to pay for a woman to, have, to murder a baby in abortion. I'm not going to do that. And there's been a constant battle. They want us to support things that, where money goes to Planned Parenthood. I'm not, we can't do that. If we know it, we can't do that. That's the last abortion clinic in Mobile, Alabama. The rest of them are out of business, praise God, and gone. Hallelujah. And if it wasn't for Planned Parenthood, there would not be one in Mobile. And by the way, there's no abortion clinics in Mississippi. That's right. How did this happen? People said, we are not going to obey any law that would cause us to be a partner in the murder of babies called abortion. We'll have no part of it. Thank God. And by the way, abortion is down 25% in America. Down 25%. So that encourages me. It shows to me that you do have a voice when you refuse to cooperate. And you will not obey unjust laws. Now, we get into the one that we're staring right in the face right now. A collision always comes when Christians are confronted with unjust laws. When there's a collision between Christian faith, a collision between Christian faith and unjust or unrighteous government. We're, th we're there now. Okay. So we're at the point that eight states in America voted to have same-sex marriage. There are 24, I, I may be one or two off, that have it because the court, they, they didn't want it. They voted against it. But the court said you, you, you have a choice. They have a legal right. And so there are 24 states where you can same-sex people can get married, not because the people want it, but because the court said you have to do it. It's called judicial tyranny. It's called ruled, ruled, being ruled by court orders, which is not the way government was ever intended. The, the, Supreme, the court was only to interpret law, not to make laws. 
Okay, so right now, uh, nine justices, they got three things in front of them. One, they can vote, and it's called Proposition 14 or Amendment 14. I could never get the right word. The first one says, it is not legal. Uh, you cannot force a state to have legal abortion. So if they vote no, then that means there'll be no legalized, no legalized same-sex marriage. If they vote no, they got three choices to vote. One, if they vote no, they say that it is not a legal right and the state does not have to uh, perform uh, same-sex marriages unless the state itself votes to do so. Second thing is that if a state does not legalize same-sex marriage, then they cannot deny people who got in another state same-sex marriage the same rights of people who are in uh, the state that voted not to have it. Ju- Justice Roberts said, that's not an option. Well, if you vote against one, there's no way you can vote against two for this reason. And I don't know which way to vote. I'm praying. But if you vote, and you, you cannot have legalized abortion, legalized same-sex marriage in, in, in Alabama, but you can have legalized uh, same-sex marriage in Georgia, then all they'd have to do is go to Georgia and get married and come back and live in the, in the state. And then you have to recognize our marriage just like anybody else. He said, that, that won't work. That's, it's, it's, it, 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 you can't vote for one and not have the other. So what we need for them to vote no on one and two. Amen? No, no state can be forced to have legalized same-sex marriage and no state has to honor same-sex marriage that doesn't have legalized same-sex No state can honor that of another state. And that'll settle it. Now, the third one, I don't forgot what that was. It was some kind of compromise. But it's no good if it's a compromise. So we know how to pray that they vote no on both of them. And that will absolutely protect the rights of the people. Now, you say, well, Brother Fred, it's not a big deal. If we legalize, if they legalize that a man can be married to a man and a woman can be married to a woman, it's not a big deal if it becomes a law. Have you been fooled? Okay, so here's a couple. They're legally married, quote, not in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of the state. They say, well, we're going to have a reception, and they come to you, and you own a catering business, and they say, we want you to cater our same-sex uh, marriage. You say, I can't do that. I love you, but I can't uh, participate in a wedding where a man's marrying a man. I can't do that. Well, then the law comes into force and says, you got to do it. You're discriminating. It's law. Do you understand how if it's ever legalized, it opens the door that if you refuse to render a service to them, you are in violation of the law and the law will come see you. It has so many rivers running out of it. It is unbelievable. What if a a couple came to a church and said, we want your church to marry us? No, we don't do that. We won't do that. Well, you're discriminating. You're discriminating. You, you, you know, it's against the law. Well, you know, who knows what the outcome will be. All right, so they legalize same-sex marriage in the state. And so a preacher stands up and says, it's a sin. It's wicked. It's against God. God will judge it. It's an abomination in the sight of God. So guess what they can do? They probably can lock him up. You don't understand. It's just not the matter of a man marrying a man and being declared legal in the state, it has so many ramifications that run throughout society that religious freedom basically will be struck a blow at its heart. And religious freedom as we know it today will no longer be. Do you understand? Now, do you understand? It's more than just, you say, well, y'all just don't want people to be happy. Oh, really? Is that what it is? No. We want people to be saved. We want people to be o- obey God. We want people to honor the Word of God. That's what it is. Well, 
Let me give you this one verse, and then we're gonna, we, I'm going to wind this up. Uh, all right, now I want to tell you something. I want you to look at Jude, verse 3. You say, what chapter? There, there's only one chapter. I know you Bible scholars didn't know that, but it's just one chapter. Jude, verse 3. Now, what does it say? Now, this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. In Jude, verse 3, it says, Earnestly contend for the faith which was once and for all delivered unto the saints. All right. Now, you've got to understand, Jude was going to write a letter to the Christians to encourage them. But teachers had crept in unaware and were misleading the people. And so Jude said in verse 3, but Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning your, your common salvation, I wanted to write you and encourage you about your, your say, being saved. I find it necessary to write you, exhorting you to contend, fight for the faith, to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all delivered to the saints. He said, I was just going to tell you how great it is to be saved, but now I've got to tell you, you've got to fight for what the Bible teaches. You've got to fight for the faith. All right, I'm going to tell you three things the Bible teaches. All right, you ready? Number one is this. And this we've got to contend for. That Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh. He's not a man. He was a man on earth. But he is perfect humanity, the son of David. He is perfect deity, the son of God. He is 100% deity. And anybody that denies that Jesus Christ is God is antichrist and non-Christian. Amen? Second thing we've got to do, and I wanted to go in detail, but I don't have time. Read Colossians 1. The second thing is we've got to contend for, for the Bible is the Word of God. We, can, we will not apologize for believing the Bible. We will not compromise what the Bible says. We will stand upon this no matter what it costs. We've got to contend for the faith. Then the third thing is this, and this is what I've been trying to say to you. We contend for Jesus as God manifest in the flesh, Flesh, the only way of salvation. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to God but by him. We're not universalists. Good men don't go to heaven. Saved men go to heaven. Good women don't go to heaven. Saved women go to heaven. You understand? They've been washed in the blood of Jesus, robed in the righteousness of Jesus, and as God's children, heaven is their home. And the way home is through Jesus. Second thing, we're going to stand on this book no matter what it costs. Third thing is this. The Bible is absolutely clear about marriage. So what are we going to do? Are we going to cave in? Are we going to compromise? Are we going to fail to stand on what God has said? Just let me, just let me read this to you. Now, Ephesians chapter 5. I mean, it's so clear, y'all. Somebody, uh, can the Supreme Court justices read? Well, somebody clip this out of the Bible and send it to them, please. And say, if you can read, would you please read this? Now, I know I'm being disrespectful, but I'm angry about it. But it's righteous anger, okay? But anyway. Now listen to what it says in verse 25 of Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your husbands. They don't say that. <laughs> Husband, love your, say it, wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it by the washing of the water of the word. All right, verse 28. So the husband ought to love their own wives. So the husband ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. What part of that don't we understand? So why y'all all been out of shape about a man marrying a man and a woman married a woman? Because the Bible says that's not the way it is. It's a husband and a wife and a wife and a husband. I understand that. All right, it says here, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church, verse 32. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular love his own wife. 
Now, that's very particular. You're not supposed to love somebody else's wife. Let each one of you love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she, get this, ladies, respects her husband. Good word. But what about the children? Well, they don't even talk about that. Well, you ain't got to worry about two men having a child. I know that. You ain't worried about two women having a child. But what if they get some, adopt one or get somebody else to have a child for them? Well, then look down in chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. It didn't say honor your father and father and honor your mother and mother. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's called the family. And let me say this to you. We must contend for the family as God ordained it, and we will at any cost. Now, I rode this horse last Sunday, and I'm riding it again today, and we're going to stay on top of it until the vote is made and they declare same-sex marriage illegal. Amen? Amen. That's exactly what we're going to do. And the way we're going to win the battle is by repenting and asking God for mercy. Ask God to have mercy on us for not being the salt and light we ought to be. And asking God to have mercy on our nation and asking God to open the eyes of those nine justices, praying for them by name, crying out before. I guarantee you, I believe there are probably more Christians praying right now in America than there has been in a long time. Everywhere I hear people are praying, but we need God's mercy. We need for God to intervene. Enough is enough. Abortion, is it, it should never be. Taking prayer out of the public sector, it should never be. All of that's history. I wish I could go back and change that. I can refuse to do anything about abortion. But I'll tell you something. we got a chance now to pray down God on this situation and to bring God into fight and let God fight the battle for us. And let's do that. And let's cry out for the mercy of God.